right? But the way these products and things are peddled to us, it's like, you could have access to every game, right? You can pay $30 a month and watch every soccer match in England. Like, like nobody has time for that, right? That's not a balanced life by any me measure. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, what's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. Back for another episode of Medical Dads that we've tightly scheduled, that we've planned ahead <laughs> and found a way to incorporate it into our busy lives. Absolutely, absolutely. We're always on the ball here. That's right. Now, in case you haven't figured it out from what Stu was saying, tonight we're going to be talking about time management and how to optimize your time the Medical Dads way, right? I think this is a real issue because... People who don't have children don't realize what it's like managing like a family, right? And everyone who's had a family knows exactly what we're talking about, right? It's chaos, right? And we're going to try to break that down and give parents some tips to help them navigate their busy schedules. Yeah, and do all this without giving people the false impression that we are somehow masters of time management, <laughs> that everything in our families functions like a finely tuned German clock. <laughs> no, but we know enough to be able to give people podcast level advice. That's right. We can we can tell you what you need not to thrive, but to survive. <laughs> but before we get to that, we actually have a medical dad's medical issue that requires our attention this week. Okay. So, so we're going to we're going to dive into this first. So one of my friends who's going to remain anonymous starts messaging me 2 days ago with a medical crisis in their household, right? And the crisis is all about children and the kids' sleep training. And I was like, you know what? Why don't you just put in our sleep episode and listen to it? She's like, oh, great, great. Comes back two minutes later. This thing's like 48 minutes long. Can you give me the shortened version of it? So tonight we're going to answer this question on the air to try to give Anonymous some help with sleep training. All right? How, how generous of us. To not just make your friend listen to the entire uh, previous episode. Oh, I, I think after she gets our answer, she's going to want to listen to the f episode for the full breakdown of sleep training in general. <laughs> Sounds like perhaps if that episode had been listened to when it came out, this problem could have been avoided. Perhaps, perhaps. But her issue now does contain some nuances because it's a bit of a example of what happens when you really let slip, sleep training slip off the tracks into a train wreck. And how do you fix a train wreck is really what we're trying to ask here. Uh, it's always a lot harder to, uh, to right the ship than it is to just stay on course in the <laughs> beginning. So let's, let's hear what, uh, what's happened, see if we can get her out of the weeds. Absolutely. So Anonymous is a mother of two children. The older one is about four and a half years old, the daughter, and then the younger one is one, the son. Okay. Now, recently, this attention, this issue came to our attention because Anonymous thought she was getting dementia. She walks into the washroom one day and sees a toilet paper roll sitting in the toilet water. She then conducts an inquisition and asks everyone in the house, who put that in the toilet water, right? Did she start with the dad? Did she ask him first? 
<laughs> she recalls she was the last one to use the toilet roll. So then her main suspect was that either her four and a half year old did it yeah. for fun or she did it when she was exhausted from lack of sleep. Right. <laughs> so that was the preface of this. So then, you know, we figured she probably did do it yeah. because the four and a half year old doesn't really lie. Her four and a half year old doesn't lie. <laughs> <laughs> that d- denies it vehemently. Yeah. And she admits that her sleep is atrocious. So basically what's been happening is she's been waking up four to five times a night to feed the one-year-old. Her and the one-year-old sleep in the bed together, like in the master bedroom on the king-size bed, co-sleeping, while her husband sleeps in a different room with the one-year-old, also co-sleeping. Apparently, the husband has something called a trundle, which I had to look up this. It's like a little mattress on wheels or something. So he sleeps on that next to the four-and-a-half-year-old who's in a small bed, right? And that's their present sleeping situation it's been like this for many months okay apparently the one-year-old has not slept in the crib since four months old right the one-year-old hasn't slept in a crib since age four months okay right he's all about the king size bed oh i right? see I, oh okay. just like us <laughs> so her question is how does she get out of this situation is it possible to do so without quote unquote crying it out because anonymous is really opposed to having their kid cry excessively. They attempted to put the kid in the crib in a different room yeah. and it went for three or four days. By day four, they noticed that the crying had not decreased one iota. So the family gave up and everyone went back to the previous above-mentioned sleeping arrangement. Oh, gosh. So- right? And, and she wants to know if crying it out, you know, if she doesn't want to go all in with crying it out, can she ease the kid into this somehow? Yeah. What are some strategies we would give her in this situation? You know, if her child is one year old, it doesn't sound like this is so much a question of sleep training. It sounds like really what we're trying to do is train this kid not to sleep in her bed anymore. Mm, okay. You know, is, is the issue really that the child doesn't know how to sleep at night? Or is the issue more just that because the child's in her bed, she you know, hears and is aware of every movement and everything that the child does in the bed at night? Um, mm-hmm. Well, the, the child does get up four and five times a night to breastfeed, sometimes very briefly. Okay. Right. So there's a bit of, so you're right. I don't think the kid has an issue like falling asleep necessarily, yeah. but it's the entire evening like schedule and the evening sleep plan has many, leaves much to be desired. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, we don't want to harp too much on the fact that like, this situation never should have been allowed to develop in the first place. <laughs> I think your friend probably already knows that, so there's no need to make them feel extra bad about that. Uh, mm. But it, it it does help us to figure out how to fix the problem, realizing how we got into this problem in the first place. Because uh, mm. really, uh, we talked about this, I think, in our, in our episode, how you know, co-sleeping with your child is not necessarily dangerous for them. I mean, it... it we don't advise it for kids less than, you know, less than uh, a year of age because of that concern that you could roll over and smother them, which I, I've actually seen that happen. I, like it's not common, right. but when it happens, the outcome is not good, and so it usually shows up in a in a pediatric emergency department in this city. But uh, uh, but a, but that is not the the main concern I think for a lot of parents. Uh, it's more just about now they, they're used to sleeping in your bed. How will you get them out of your bed? And I think right. our conclusion at that episode was, uh, you know, people have to do what's right for them. And if someone is comfortable with the <laughs> idea that they're going to be sharing a child with their bed for four or five years, then uh, th- then that's their choice and that they can 
do that, but that it should be <laughs> eyes wide open that that is what you're signing up for if you're co-sleeping True. with your child. So that's good because that means we're going to cover some new ground here because last time we kind of said avoid getting in this situation if you don't want to be in it. That's right. But now you're in it, right? And in real life, people get in all sorts of situations they don't want to be that's in. That's right. So now we need the medical dad's bailout plan. So what are we gonna, how are we going to deliver this bailout? Well, we'll start with the advice that I was taught when I was training, and then we'll try to modify it for the custom request your friend has that we have to do it somehow without the baby crying or the one-year-old crying whatsoever. <laughs> I Her request is there's, is there's no crying. I'm going to correct that and say there can be a little bit of crying. But let's apparently when the kid gets really upset, he starts banging his head on the, on the side of the crib. Okay. Like he starts getting injured. Like let's just keep it so that he doesn't get injured and it's not too excessive. Yeah. Like we don't want him to have a brain injury here. Because <laughs> I, when I worked with a pediatrician in the community as part of my training, I was I- interested to see that when families had their one-year checkup with their baby, when their baby was one year old and they do a checkup, as part of his routine advice, preparing people for what's going to happen next, he used to talk about specifically the idea of kids coming into the bed. And he mm. would say, you know, at one year of age, now developmentally, your child actually has the ability to purposely try to manipulate you where it comes to the <laughs> sleep thing. So they are now at the age where they're not necessarily crying because they actually need something other than the fact that they just want to get in your bed. And if they've mm. gotten into the bed before, then now they've sort of figured out that, well, if they cry, you will eventually cave and you'll bring them back in the bed. And mm. uh, because they can be so singular-minded at that stage, they don't have any other distractions or problems that we as adults have, <laughs> they can outlast you and they can cry for quite some time. And once, right. you, once, they, once you give in, once they see that the crying gets the objective of what they want, then what they've learned is that, okay, it may take a while, but if I do it long enough, eventually I'll get the outcome that I want. So (laughs) his thing really was that at one year of age, now is the time to take them out of the bed and keep them out of the bed. And his sort of advice was, you know, if they're not already used to sleeping in the bed, then great. Just all you have to do is not let them in the bed starting now. But if they're Mm -hmm. already coming into the bed, then it will take about five days or about five nights of doing this where the kid will be crying and upset in this. But after about five mm. nights of doing it, they will learn that, okay, yeah, I don't go into my parents' bed anymore at night. That's not where I sleep at night. Okay. So we can outlast the kids if we can make it to five days. That's that's good to know. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I'm sure there's probably plus or minus, you know, some kids quicker than maybe. <laughs> In this case, it's going to be plus. It's going to be plus. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the problem here is it's not about a kid who they're putting into bed and the kid is now coming into their bed. Uh, this is a kid who, that is their bed. That's all they've ever known is that this is their bed. Uh, (laughs) So if we're talking about getting them out of there and somewhere else, I'm not actually 100% sure that that is the question that your friend really is asking. Or if they just want to keep the kid in their bed, but they just want to know how to make them not cry while they're in there. If you ask me, I, I agree. Step one is we have to agree that the child needs to be out of the big bed. That's step one. Yeah. There's no real scenario in which your child is co-sleeping with you in your bed and you are going to be getting like proper sleep. It is helpful, I think, in terms of their development to develop the coping skills to be on their own, right? So if we're thinking about the kid in terms of their long-term, you know, feeling of self-security and confidence, it does help for them to be able to handle being in a room alone, getting themselves to bed. At some point, they're going to have to learn this, right? So sometimes I feel like we baby them too much at this age. 
then later on, this problem will still reappear, except it'll be even harder to, to handle. Yeah. So how to get her out of the situation she's in. Yes. So first step is going to be getting the child uh, set up with a room and a place to sleep. Mm -hmm. And that might be easier uh, if the four-year-old is sleeping in the same room as as the one-year-old instead of the uh, dad sleeping in the same room as the (laughs) four-year-old. They might want to do a partner switch. So you might want, so you're thinking about the partner switch. Yeah, I think that's, that's potentially one way to go. That might work for them because of the way their house is set up. Yeah. Right. I actually wasn't super in favor because I was worried that the one-year-old would wake up the four-and-a-half-year-old, right? And they might all get bleary-eyed as a result. Well, if there's an option for uh, for having the like everyone in their own room, then that would be, you know, that would be mm. great. I just don't know how much space they have. Sure. But uh, uh, what they need to do, get the one-year-old to see is that, okay, when I wake up at night, I am capable of feeling safe and then going back to sleep. So one strategy that people employ for that is having some kind of stuffed animal or something like that uh, that appears in the bed when the kid wakes up at night so that they know Mm -hmm. that their parents must have been in the room. So for example, some people will put the child down without the bear or whatever in the bed yet. uh, And then after the kid's gone to sleep, then the parents go in, put the bear there so that the kid wakes up at the night. Now they can see this Mm -hmm. bear is there that wasn't there before. Okay. And they, they, they get used to having that each night. Uh, if the child is sort of used to half waking and breastfeeding in the night, then it may not be inappropriate to give them uh, something like a bottle with water or a soother to uh, to have them to have some comfort when they wake up in the night. For the transition period. Yeah, for the transition period. Would you be in favor of moving the kid to a new room in back into the crib like right away? Or would you do it stepwise? Like maybe try to get them to sleep in the crib, but stay in the bedroom first. And then after a week or two, move to another room? Or would you just go all in? Oh, I would I would go all in. I, I think there can be a stepwise approach to it, but not having the baby first in your room, but in a bed or in a crib. I, I would think it's like their own room separate from yours. Uh, but mm-hmm. you could do things like you put them to sleep and then when they cry, you can you know come in briefly just to give them some reassurance that you're there and then leave again uh mm-hmm. you know that's the sort of stepwise approach that people often take when they're trying to to get the child to get comfortable right. sleeping for the and day. that would mitigate some of the crying right well i think it would mitigate some of the parents difficult feelings about okay well they're just crying and are they scared uh they're not used to me being me not being there that type of thing right. you don't want to try to give the message to their child that uh, when you need us, we don't come or we don't care, uh, <laughs> which is, I think, the guilty feeling that parents might have with that. Right. Um, but, you know, you come in just briefly, show you're there, make sure that everything's okay in the bed, uh, and then leave again. And mm-hmm. that's where people are, when you talk about more of the classic idea of sleep training, which is not something you're usually saying you're starting at one year of age, it's usually when they're younger, but the classic way of doing it is uh, you go in, uh, reassure, reassure them that you you're, that you're there, but then you leave them, and then when they cry again, uh, you wait a little bit longer, uh, so that the interval mm-hmm. gets longer and longer of you going back in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our plan is we'll institute this, we'll come back into the room early in the transition. We might pick them up, maybe maybe try to calm them down. As we get later into transition, or even later in the evening, there's less picking up. Right. Just more going in, checking, reassure, leave the room. 
yeah and space this out gradually more and more right yeah yeah and i it would really be minimizing the picking up and that type of thing so mm-hmm. uh, the initial part of this the, the initial challenge the first hurdle to get over is going to be getting them down to sleep in the in the bed mm. just because that's going to be completely foreign to this child that they go to sleep in a new bed <laughs> so uh i think it's a good idea to ha- have this new bed that's this really exciting thing like look there's this new bed and this is all this is your bed uh, that they can see in the daytime first it's not just something that at bedtime suddenly they're being put in this bed <laughs> so that's maybe where you might say well we sit with them or something like that until they fall asleep uh, mm. uh, like that that I'm okay with that but I don't think it's a good idea to have the bed in your bedroom uh, and mm-hmm. have, try to have them fall asleep with you there or you'll just be stuck on that stage for a very, very long time. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I've had nights where, many nights where I would fall asleep on like a cot or on the mattress next to my son's crib. Yeah. He'd be in the crib and I'd be outside, right? And I would have fallen asleep and woken up and he's still lying there like fussing, right? <laughs> I, I agree with you. That's a better alternative than what's happening here yeah. because everything that we're doing to move them in the right direction of the kid being in their own room Yeah. And getting towards independence is better than this co-sleeping business, I think. Yeah, if the if the ultimate end goal is to get better sleep for your friend uh, and mm-hmm. pre- potentially her husband, I don't know where he factors into all this, but the, the, <laughs> if the end goal is to get your friend better sleep, then getting the child to be sleeping in a different room is of paramount importance. All right, well, there you go. There's the medical dad's bailout plan. So ha- anonymous out there, have a go at it. Let me know how it goes. We can always follow up in a future episode. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad advice considering this is only just hearing the question and giving people an answer without having any back and forth dialogue as one would normally do <laughs> in any kind of medical assessment, let alone doing a physical exam and ruling out other you know, behavioral issues the child might have or other medical problems the kid could have. Don't worry. I took care of all that stuff off the air. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that only took 20 minutes to answer. What next? <laughs> Well, we're talking about time and time management today. Okay. All right. And we just touched on a very important part of time management is getting adequate sleep. That's right. Right. Now, the reason that we're talking about this is that I've, I've heard people talk about parenting as being akin to running a business, like running a small business, like managing a family, like having a spouse, a child, two children, heaven forbid, four children. It's like managing a business, right? There's there's lots of moving parts, lots of different ideas, and there's only 24 hours in a day. The only difference, I guess, is that a, a business usually makes a profit. <laughs> yeah, this this business actually runs at a loss right. <laughs> year round. It's a lifetime business running at a loss that somehow doesn't go bankrupt. <laughs> a nonprofit organization. It doesn't go bankrupt because you have this other job on the side, <laughs> right. right? That keeps funding it. Right. And it's the trick is how to get this other job and this family life and everything else you want to do in your life working at one and, and not have the people in the house rip each other to shreds yeah. in the in, in the course of this. Right. So I thought it would be useful for us to talk about, you know, some strategies that we have to try to manage time and see if those might help some people who are out there struggling with time management or wondering what did they get themselves into with these children and these families like. I remember looking at my friends who didn't have kids thinking, 
man, you lucky <laughs> SOB. <laughs> like, how do you have this much time? Like, what are you complaining about? Right? I sometimes see people I know who are kind of dour, complaining about how stressed they are, yeah. but they don't have children. What on earth could they be stressed about? <laughs> do you not sometimes look back at your life and say, considering what I can kind of achieve now with my job and my family, how did I not get more accomplished when I was younger? <laughs> When I had yeah, summer vacation, I, how come I didn't cure like cancer during that time? <laughs> well, the problem is somewhere along the line when the children got born, somebody hit the delete button on me. And I don't remember anything about what I used to do <laughs> during those years, right? I'm always looking back on like, what did we used to do? Like I had a job. Okay, I got a job now. Yeah. I played tennis. Like how much tennis could I have possibly played? I'm not very good at it. Like, what on earth was I doing with all this time? Uh, don't you remember? You spent all that time trying to meet somebody so that you could end <laughs> up in this boat. <laughs> I don't know. But now that we're in this boat, once again, we must bail our, our audience out of this boat. That's right. <laughs> this, this episode is all about regrets and how to fix them. <laughs> <laughs> or at least... Uh, how to get yourself out of uh, the trouble you've got yourself into. Now, one thing I'm just going to touch on this is that, like, just this past weekend, like, this this current time period with COVID is a little bit different, right? Like, right. we're at home, our kids are at home doing virtual learning, and the schedule is a mess, right? Yeah. Even so, like, I got to Sunday this week, and, and we went through, like, our usual Sunday routine, yeah. right? which is all indoors, stays at our house, maybe a little bit of exercise. And by the end of Sunday, I was just destroyed. I was wiped out. I was like, oh, Sunday's a lot more tiring than Monday. And you know how like as parents or as everybody, we always look at the weekend like, oh, I can't wait for the weekend to come. Like you get to Friday, you're like, yes, it's the weekend. Yeah. But then at the end of the weekend as a parent, you're always like, oh, the weekend is worse than the week. <laughs> but you somehow forget that by the time you get to next Friday. Right. And I remember my dad telling me that. Of like years ago yeah. when probably I was in my teens he's like oh like on the weekends like after Sunday when I go to work on Monday I always fall asleep on the bus going downtown that's the only day of the week I fall asleep going to downtown and coming home from work because you're just wiped out from this weekend I, I looked at him as a kid like the weekend what what do we do on the week we didn't do anything it was such a boring weekend yeah. <laughs> right but now as a parent I, I see that there's just no end to how much stuff we need to do well, if you want to shake up that routine, just start doing shift work. Then you don't have to wait till Monday to fall asleep on the way to work. You could be doing that on a Wednesday or maybe a Thursday, maybe Saturday, because you could be working Saturday. I don't know how you do it, man. Like, I can't even imagine what shift work would be like for me at this age. Well, it definitely means that you have to be on top of a, of a family schedule and you have to mm. coordinate that family schedule. So why right. don't we jump into some of our, our tips and, and things that we do? Well, let's talk a little bit about this business of sharing calendars okay. and calendar apps. Because I, I, I go through this issue like every like half a year or so where I'm like, I'm going to get organized. I'm going to start using Google Calendar, right? I'm, I'm going to sync my Google Calendar with my wife's iPhone calendar. It's going to be great. Yeah. Never happens properly, right? There's always some glitch, right? So... But some friends of mine swear by this. So what do you think? Like, do you guys share your calendars? Like, is this a good way to manage the schedule of a busy family? Uh, well, it is important to share your schedule in some shape or form. At our house, I've got different calendars, like on my computer, on my phone, etc. 
But our master calendar is the one that is on the fridge. So mm. we have a paper calendar that we put up on the fridge. Uh, there's a particular one that my wife likes to buy that's really large so that you have plenty of room for each day of the month to be able to write things in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has magnets on it so that it, it sticks on the fridge really well. And so that's the one where uh, I'll write in my, my shifts or my wife will write in sometimes my shifts for that month. Uh, mm-hmm. And then other things that are important that month, we put that on the calendar. So it's a great way to make sure that there's one singular place that we can look to say, okay, well, what is, before I make this commitment or that commitment, what's on the calendar? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so that actually is something that my family needs to invest in. Give me the name of that calendar right now. <laughs> I, I happen to have it right here. It's called Plan It Calendar. as two words, not Planet. <laughs> uh, the company that makes it is Well Street by Lang. Our, our particular one is actually called Mom's Plan It, which automatically makes it more effective. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's many different brands of these calendars you can find, but having one big calendar in a central place where everybody could look at it at a glance, uh, very helpful, very mm. helpful. But, I, I, but talking about those calendar apps, so yeah, they, they do, if somebody has a great way of managing all their calendars, I'd love to hear it. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure it probably isn't that hard to make it so that my calendar sync, but I'll be out somewhere with nothing but my phone and somebody will suggest something and I can put it into my phone calendar. Uh, right. But then uh, through work, I'll get an email and then the email has something where you click on it and it adds it to your calendar. So I do that, but it adds it to the calendar of my laptop that I'm looking at <laughs> on my email and it doesn't automatically sync over to my, uh, to my phone. Right, right. Yeah. And for my schedule at work, we use a th- uh, an electronic schedule called PedalMD. So for the person who actually decides who's working what shift for a three-month period, that goes electronically into a calendar, and then that will that is set up to sync to my to my phone and my computer, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also set up to sync to my wife's phone. So that's where sharing a calendar app comes in really handy, uh, for for her to be able to see what shifts I'm working, uh, makes it a lot easier if somebody's saying, hey, can you do something on this day or that day for her to look and say, oh, well, I can't because Stuart's working right. that night, or I can because Stuart's around to watch the kids or whatever. Right. So I mean. Calendars are vital. The technology for them leaves a little bit to be desired in many situations. A lot of times, I my thing is like I I understand we all have our phones. Like I'm always listening to podcasts, so I got my phone with me all the time. But I feel like there are certain things that just I just don't like having to open the phone, open the app, type in this item that someone just told me. Yeah, and so things just get lost for me. So I've, I've actually frequently tried to go back to the idea of having a book, like, you know, those little book calendars, yeah, yeah. an agenda, right? an agenda book, right? Like you're in high school again yeah. in the nineties, except that doesn't work for me either. Like I'll fill it in for a week or two and then the rest of the agenda is empty. Right. <laughs> so I've reached this point where we kind of have, like my wife is a little bit better with, with the, on, with the. My wife is a little bit better with the calendar app and because she does some shift work, right? Like she has, her schedule is like varies from week to week. Sometimes her shifts are the most important thing on that calendar. Like we really need to see where those shifts go. The the real problem is when you start to throw in all the kids stuff right? and the kids like have assignments due and the kids have these little classes and I started putting those things in the calendar. Then I started putting like my podcasts into the calendar. Like, 
it became a disaster. So right now I've given up on the podcast planning. I just try to remember when you last told me our next episode is <laughs> going to be right in the middle of the week. You get a message from me like, what are we doing again this week? Well, I think when it comes to the calendars, it's only effective if you have a routine for looking at the calendar or mm. looking at a schedule. So right. yeah, uh, when I was using my phone and would be putting things into my phone, uh, that's where I would put them on the spot. But then if I didn't then transfer that information to somewhere else or somehow sync it with my my laptop, that wasn't the, the calendar that I was used to looking at when I wanted to say, okay, what's coming up this week? Uh, it wasn't right. my phone that I was looking at. And so, uh, yeah, it's so important to have, to, to have a specific place where you're like, this is what second nature for me to look at this calendar when I'm looking at what's coming up and then be consistent about putting the information you want in that calendar. I think if people can get over that, it makes a big difference. So that, that's good. That's a good nugget of advice. Get a calendar, put it somewhere that your whole family can see, put everything, as much stuff as you can on it that's easy to access. Yeah, although I do separate out, because like you say, the calendar become, come, becomes overwhelming if you have every little thing that the kids are doing. <laughs> so, uh, for example, you know, once your kids are in school or, or, or you know, school assignments and stuff like that, I don't put the kids' due dates for assignments, for the most part, into the family calendar. Sometimes I might if there's a really big project that, that mm. we're really hyped about or something. Right. Um, but for what I do for the kids, uh, and this is actually new this year that I've done it in this particular way, but I, I bought four of these little sort of personal-sized whiteboards from Staples, the ones that you can write on with a dry erase marker. And these ones come with a little sticky patch at the back that you can put on the wall. Mm -hmm. So in the wall in the kitchen under our big clock, there's now four whiteboards for each kid. <laughs> and so what we do is when there's a school assignment, say just for like at the end of this week, for example, right. I have to remember one of my kids has to do 15 to 20 minutes of prodigy math. And then we have to submit that to her teacher by Sunday night that she's mm -hmm. done this. Prodigy math is like an online math game that the kids play. So that just goes on the whiteboard. So that at a glance, if I want to say, okay, what's going on for the kids in school? Every, I can look at the whiteboard and they can look at the whiteboard and they can draw on that to, to write their things in. Mm. But then for big things like parent-teacher interviews, where I might accidentally uh, schedule myself in such a way that conflicts with that. You know, if someone wants to switch a shift with me, uh, I don't need to look at what the kids' homework assignments are, but I do need to know the big things like if my wife has parent-teacher interviews or if, because uh, uh, she's a teacher, right? Or if uh, my kids have some school play or some event I have to go to, that goes into the big family calendar. Mm. So yeah, interesting, so interesting. step one is to have a central calendar that you look at routinely, that you share with your spouse, that you write the big things in and that you're used to looking into so that it's routine. Step two is not putting every little detail into that calendar so that it's so crowded it doesn't become useful. And have separate places where people know to go to look for, uh, for different deadlines. So far, I'm 0 for 2. Like, it seems like this is a giant therapy session for the parent with two kids <laughs> talking to the old pro with four kids because I don't do any of these things. Maybe you just don't need this stuff as badly with the two kids. <laughs> Maybe not. Although this year, it is getting kind of crazy because the, with the virtual learning, every assignment needs to be turned in by us, right? Yeah. So, and then, like, frequently, like, there's an... You know, a lot of times you, you take your kids to school, you don't think about school for them during that day or during that week for weeks on end. Yeah. Now it's like every day. Oh, I got to hand in something for them. I got to go scan something for them. Right. Oh, did she do the test? The spelling test of this week. We got to turn in that list. Every two nights I'm up the stairs scanning papers again. Right. 
And all these things need to be put into your schedule somehow. Yeah. Well, that's another maybe tip. Tip number three is the planning ahead. Because it's, it's so easy to have where throughout the day, I get emails from the school for the, for the different, from the different kids' teachers saying, okay, mm-hmm. this week, this is what we're doing as class. And the kids have a or report or a spelling test or something like this at the end of the week. So it's so easy right. to get those little emails and say and make a mental note and then say, oh yeah, yeah. Later I gotta, <laughs> I, later I gotta go through all these emails and, and sort out what's happening when. And then on top of that, right. I get emails from myself from uh, from work saying, okay, this meeting is gonna happen at this time and it's gonna happen. And it's so easy to have a general sense in my head of like, okay, yeah, I got these things going on. Uh, but then if it if if I don't take that time to sit down and say, okay, let me take an uh, you know an hour on Monday to say, okay, for the week coming up, what are all the different deadlines and things that are that have been coming to place and look ahead to see? Then invariably, there's a uh, it's going to happen where I miss a meeting or something important, uh, or at the last minute the kids are being dropped off at school and they're saying, oh, I didn't do that project or something, and you may look at the calendar and say, ah, I did write that in the calendar. But I just neglected to take that pause at the beginning of the week to look ahead at the calendar and say, okay, what are the things that are coming up to keep in mind for this week? Mm, That is is actually my big problem with the online calendars, Yeah. right? Like I go to my computer. I'm on my computer at least a couple of times every day, but I don't always click the button and open the calendar and look at it, Yeah. right? And your phone is supposed to sort of get you away from that by sending you these reminders. Yeah. I'll tell you, as someone who's missed paying taxes, even though the, the phone was signaling it to me in bright letters all day, right? On the 15th of the month, pay the taxes, pay the taxes. <laughs> and still, I somehow just, I was in the middle of work. I swiped and the, the message went away. I didn't register and then it's gone. Yeah, you're right. Over three now. I have to pay attention to the apps and check it once a week in advance, along with all the other million things you got to check. <laughs> That's right. Here's a question. So you mentioned you get these emails from the teachers with, and each of them has something that you got to put a mental note for. Do you make that mental note or do you actually physically put that note somewhere like into your calendar or somewhere so you have that list or do you keep going back to your emails over and over again? I've tried to get into this strategy and you hear people give this advice often about dealing with emails as much as possible as soon as you get them. Hmm. So especially if I'm uh, having a day where I'm at home going through emails, what I've tried to do is when I see these things uh, to go over to the whiteboard on the wall and actually write in for each kid this thing, and then I can delete mm-hmm. that email. Uh, and I've, I've, I, there have definitely been times where I've said, oh, okay, yeah, I've got to take note of that and then, and then didn't write it down or something. Uh, yeah, and invariably it gets, it gets left behind. All right. All right. So that's good. These are some good practical advice for me. <laughs> oh, to be fair, I've had, I've, I've had my low points. I've had times where that alert comes up saying <laughs> meeting 15 minutes and I live 20 minutes <laughs> from work. And it's like, ah, 15 minutes. I forgot that that's even happening today. Right. <laughs> that, that's one of the pitfalls for me, particularly with the shift work, right? Because when you mm. work a nine to five, well, all the meetings are happening while you're already in the building from nine to five. But when you do shift work, people are want to schedule something on a Tuesday where otherwise you wouldn't have to go into work. And you're just mm-hmm. doing stuff at home, getting work done, cleaning the house or whatever else. And then you get this alert saying like, oh, right, I agreed to show up at Journal Club or something like that. <laughs> so 
let's let's move away from like the practical nitty gritty and talk more about the big picture of time management okay. a little bit. Now, one thing that a lot of people have an issue with when it comes to organizing the troops is they get this feeling that there's too much on their plate. Right. Right. So the question is, when is too much too much? Like, how do you know, you know, with your kids and with your, you know, your married life that you guys are way too busy? Because I always feel like we're kind of near that, like we're operating at maximum capacity. <laughs> yeah. And then something happens and we have to ramp it up another level. <laughs> right. How do how do how do you what signs do you look for to dial things back a little bit? When you when you're doing activities that you don't see the point to anymore, mm. then that's a sign that, OK, you got to reevaluate that activity. So. You know, for kids, for example, you put them in all these different lessons because you see the value in all this stuff. But when you're at the point now where, you know, I'm taking my kid to curling lessons and the kid isn't actually enjoying it and the kid's complaining about being there and then mm-hmm. they're coming home and you're exhausted because you made all these sacrifices to get them to their curling lesson and back. And now they're going mm-hmm. to bed late because the lesson ends late and they have to finish their homework or whatever else. When you're saying... They don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy bringing them to it. And I don't see this as being something where I'm investing in a long-term career in curling. Then that's what I say, okay, well, then do I really, is that really a priority? Right. I, I think a good part of that answer is also when you're watching for signs of fatigue. Right. Right. Sometimes it's not super obvious, but as we start to get busier and busier, people start to get edgier and edgier. Right. Right. And a lot, of times, a lot of times in the household, like people start snapping at each other. Like my kids, they're slightly older now, so they don't lose control when they're tired the way they did when they were two years old. Yeah. But you can tell, like you, you go to bed like 20 minutes later than usual and bedtime is a little messier than it usually is, right? They're a little edgier. They're, they're not happy drying their hair. Yeah. Like the things that normally might not irritate them that much start to irritate them a little bit more. And if you really pay attention to those kind of cues, you can get a sense of like, you know, how well rested your children are. Same goes with your spouse, <laughs> right? Sometimes they're just getting a little crankier because work's been busy or we're not getting enough sleep during that week for a few days leading up to it. Yeah. So you have to watch for all these cues all the time when you're managing this small business. That's right. Well, there's going to be an employee revolt. <laughs> and of course, when kids are tired, a lot of the behaviors that they do to sort of show that they're tired and, and push to their limit also are the same behaviors that elicit a negative reaction in you as, as medical dad. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you're also tired at that point, That's right. pretty much by default, That's right? You've right. been with them through every step of this process. You're like, I just wasted my whole evening bringing you to curly lessons, and you dare to speak back to me on the drive home? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's very important to watch for the physical cues of exhaustion yeah. from everyone that's involved. And to always be mindful of how much sleep everyone's getting. Like I, I'm always like keeping in my head like a tally of how many hours I slept, yeah. my kids slept, my wife slept. Like that number to me is the most important number in the household. It's more important than the bank account, really. Right. I mean, I've, I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to feel like I'm already at the point where I, where I feel tired all the time, or I feel like I'm snapping, or that uh, I can mm. tell that the kids are not getting enough rest but i don't see how to make it any different because there's all uh-huh. these priorities that like have to be met <laughs> i mean even myself i could at any given moment there's stuff i should be doing <laughs> right. even when i'm even when i'm relaxing uh at the back of my mind it's always like 
Or what I could be doing right now is finishing this paper I have to work on or editing this podcast or whatever else. Um, but that might actually tie into the tip of saying, you know, you have all these priorities and all these things you have to do, but getting rest, getting some time to relax and having, you know, good bonding family time, those are also priorities. And sometimes it means actually scheduling that in as well. Mm-hmm. So part of that answer for me, I think, is you do have to do a bit of a less is more approach. Mm-hmm. You can't do everything. Well, I, I heard this recently. Um, actually, it was when Ruth Ginsburg died. Okay. One of the things she said to people is you can't do everything all the time. Like you can't have it all all the time, but you can have all the things you want if they're spaced out in different times, which is sort of the idea that there's a time in your life to do this. There's another time to do that. Okay. You just can't have it all at once. Yeah. Right. Which I think is a good way of thinking about it. Sometimes as parents or as humans, we want everything done now. Right. We want th- we want our job to be flying. We want the kids to be doing great. We want them to have maximum like, you know, achievement, yeah. maximum happiness. Yeah. Right. Like there's no end. Right. So you, you do have to pick your spots. Yeah. And I think if we sometimes have to reduce certain things, it's not even just curling. Sometimes it could be things that you think are kind of important. Right. Right. You may need to cut you know, hockey out or so, or, or heaven forbid piano out. Right. But to give yourself that time, if, if that is, you know, when you make your priority list, which are the things that are really not bringing you home value? Yeah. Yeah. You know, last year we, we, I think overextended ourselves just with the number of different activities that we had our kids in because they were mm. in like, the piano, they were in hockey, they were in uh, skating lessons on the weekend. They were doing volleyball uh, I can't even remember all the different things that we had them in. Well, it's a good thing that COVID put a stop to all these things. <laughs> well, it's funny because my wife had already decided, okay, you know what? For September, we're not putting them in anything. Like, she decided <laughs> a complete moratorium on, on all extracurricular activities. She's, just, she's like, we're going to do uh, like one semester from you know, September to December of just they're in nothing. And then <laughs> after she'd made that commitment, then, yeah, COVID hit. Uh, and then there was nothing to be in. Uh, but even now in September... She stuck to what she had said, and we didn't put them in, in essentially anything. Hmm. But not that we won't ever put them in anything. But uh, uh, we took a we took a few months off. I mean, the thing is, a lot of these activities and these things that feel very important. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like, are these things really that important in the grand scheme of life? And they're certainly not worth it if we're all exhausted and edgy and snapping at one That's another. Right. right. And we said in our episode, we did an episode about play, right? Mm. Uh, playing with toys and play. And we talked about how it is actually important for there to be a bit of time for kids to get bored and there to be a bit Mm. of idle time. And I think (laughs) the same thing is true for adults a little bit. Now, I think one thing, though, is that... Actually, that was the episode on boredom. There was a different episode Uh, on play (laughs) that you're thinking of. My whole problem is, as a parent, is that I do feel like kids do need some of these foundational building blocks. Right. Right. And sometimes these foundational building blocks cannot be achieved except through a lot of rote time spent on something. Right. Like you're never going to get good at playing the piano unless you put in a lot of hours at the beginning. (laughs) That's right. Right. So it is this thing like I get it as parents that we want our kids to be doing things of value and we want them to be having fun. I think that there's this balancing act that we all have to do. And it's not just for our kids. It's for ourselves, too. Right. Like, you know, 
we we want to hang out with our friends we want to go have a beer once in a while we want to be you know imp- having self-improvement like pr- pushing our career further if possible yeah. or exploring other hobbies like there's no end to this you really have to sit down and try to figure out what are the real priorities and i think getting back to the question that you asked which is for people who are already feeling they're at their limit yeah what should those people be doing I usually will tell people, number one, look at how much sleep you're getting. You know, as a, as a doctor, a lot of patients come to the office and I can tell they're stressed. Yeah. So then we talk about sleep, right? And I tell them, look, you need to be getting at least seven to hours of sleep a night, right? Maybe up to nine, yeah, you know, for some people. Light. I, I, I shoot for eight. Yeah, but I'm, I'm telling these numbers to people who are sleeping four oh, or four and a half, yeah. right? So I'm just trying to nudge them towards six even. <laughs> like I find for me... Every half hour more I sleep, I'm half a tank more full, right, yeah. you know, for that day. And it just keeps going up. I need more and more and more. I found that as an adult, you know, we really should be prioritizing that. So I'm always stressing that with my patients and especially with parents. You know, they'll come in and tell me that their kids aren't sleeping that well or they're little kids and they don't have great sleep habits. I think tying this back to our original issue with the sleep training this episode yeah. The sleep is actually a really, really important thing. And as adults, we have this tendency to feel like, you know, I have all these things to do. Sleep is the thing that's got to go. You know, I think we develop this mentality when we're students, right? <laughs> like there's this glory in pulling an all-nighter, yeah. right? Well, I hear what you're saying, although I feel like, yeah, when you're a student, especially if you're like a, a very type A student, it really is you're sacrificing sleep to do all these important things. I think for mm. most people nowadays, the problem really is more uh, they they got all the stuff that they were going to do for the day. And when they could have gone to sleep, they now stayed up doing things that are not priorities at all. You know, they, they, <laughs> now they're watching Netflix because it's the only time they feel like they have to relax. Uh, yeah. Before you know it, they've stayed up later than they should have. There's a there's a reason that Netflix is like a hundred billion dollar company or something, right? right? And and the hundred billion people that are watching it are the ones that are complaining about how tired they are and how stressed they are. You know, I think if everybody who only slept four hours uh, only slept that long because everything else they were doing was productive, like all that other time was spent doing important things on their to do list, I don't think there'd be much to worry about for those guys. They would probably catch up on their list pretty quickly and then be able to relax, go to sleep. I do think that is actually a thing. Like at some point in adult life, I trimmed off a lot of the activities that used to eat up copious amounts of time. Yeah. Like, like for me, it was watching sports, right? Like, like it would, you know, you sit down and watch a game. It's two hours for, you know, minimum, you know, time commitment. If yeah. you're going to watch like a championship tennis match, it could be six hours in front of the television. Now as an adult, I'm like, where on earth am I going to get six hours to watch a sporting <laughs> event for? I can barely watch the highlight reel in six minutes. Good thing you weren't a, a cricket fan. It could be days <laughs> watching one match. I mean, I think there is a time for in people's lives for this kind of thing, right? Like, there is a time where it's nice to kick back and watch Hockey Night in Canada, right? But you can't be doing this every night, yeah. right? But the way these products and things are peddled to us, it's like you could have access to every game, right? You can pay thirty dollars a month and watch every soccer match in England, like, like nobody has time for that, right? That's not a balanced life by any me- measure. No, that there'll be plenty of that when you're retired and your kids aren't coming to visit you anymore but when you have toddlers <laughs> no you're not you're not watching the star wars nine movie saga on a whim <laughs> so another thing that i found for 
in terms of time management and trying to carve out a little bit of extra time yeah. is I think there are certain things that if we put off doing them, they end up taking longer. Right. So there is something to be said for doing things quickly. Like, you know, you get your emails, deal with it right away, right? You eat a meal, wash those dishes right away. Don't let it pile up in the sink. Yeah. Because once the dishes get cruddy, it takes twice as long to clean, <laughs> right? You're just adding to your workload. Do you have a dishwasher? Right? We do have a dishwasher, okay. but we have we have terrible dishwasher habits. Like I have this thing where I have to pre-rinse everything before I put it in a dishwasher because my dishwasher is old. And if I don't pre-rinse, it'll come out crusty just enough that I'll have to wash it again. I definitely advocate for after dinner, trying to put the dishes in the dishwasher before going off to do something else. Mm, mm, yes. This was actually when we were talking about this episode, my wife mentioned that we should really push people to start washing dishes right away. I'm like, we never do that. I just did the dishes this morning for another hour because we had two meals worth piled up from yesterday. See, with us, uh, if you miss a load, you know, if we don't do the dishes for dinner, then by breakfast, you can't fit all those dishes in the dishwasher. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing worse than having to run the dishwasher while you still actually have other dirty dishes waiting to go in after the first set come out. So <laughs> we, uh, we get a lot of use out of the dishwasher. We, we try to keep it uh, running in real time. Mm. I mean, the, for me, the worst feeling is, you know that feeling when your dishes are piled so high in the sink that you can barely wash another dish by hand, <laughs> even if you wanted to, <laughs> right? You have to work around stuff, right? With this like fancy arm technique and things. Well, we have, so the kids have uh, plastic, reusable lunch kits that they bring to school and mm. so every day after school they come and put those in the sink but by time four kids come in and each put in one of these big plastic kits uh and their thermoses and whatever little side kit they had for their crackers that's it that it's the sink is already what you're talking about you can't wash your hands <laughs> without colliding right. or something and now you have to make dinner in that sink that's right and that's where if i haven't like planned ahead and run the dishwasher uh, from the stuff that was left over from breakfast and what I ate at lunch. <laughs> you know, if when they get home from school, the dishwasher is still running, then you feel it and your, your spouse feels it. <laughs> and your spouse makes sure that you feel that she feels it. Dishes aside, the point I was trying to make is avoid putting things on a to-do list if they don't have to. Like I find for me, if, an, if a thing appears like you need to do this, I sometimes would get into this thing where I'm feeling lazy. You know what? I'm just going to write it down or I'm just going to make a mental note. I'll do that later. Yeah. The problem is when you have too many of these I'll do that laters, then it becomes a huge nightmare. Like you end up having to spend three hours on all your later stuff, right? Whereas if you just did it at the moment, sometimes the thing's gone 30 seconds later. It's out of your memory. You don't need to deal with it again. I This particular issue happens to me all the time at work because okay. I'm always getting thrown little things to do at work. Yeah. And and I got in the habit, which is a bad habit, of carrying around a piece of paper where I would scri scribble everything down. <laughs> I'd look at this list at the end of the day and have like 20 things that need to be done. Yeah. Most of them, if I had just spent the extra 30 seconds at the time, wouldn't have to go back and re redo all these things. Someone sends me an email from work and I think, okay, I'll sit down later and write a really good response. Um, and then later, you're like, oh, well, I didn't end up doing it today. So now the email response is like, a, you know, like the next day. And now the, the person would have been much happier if I had just written a one-line <laughs> response back to them saying, yeah, that's right. fine. Go ahead. Uh, so I try to be more like, of that mindset nowadays. Now, I, this, is a, this is a bit of a different point. Some parents I know have these like apps built into their phone where they can track each other's whereabouts. So 
going even a step further than the Google Calendar. Yeah. The Google Calendar tells you, you know, what your spouse should be doing at a certain time. Yeah. But now you have like a tracker to know what so they you are know doing, where they are, <laughs> what they are doing at any given time. That has that has nothing to do with this. time management and everything to do with people who want to. <laughs> Uh, obsessively know where their spouse is at all times if you don't <laughs> trust their spouse. Like they're, they're, yeah, being able to track your, the whereabouts, like because you know with the Find My Phone app, you can have your partner's thing and you can see exactly where they are and it overlaid on a map of the city. That has right. no utility as far as I'm concerned for for time <laughs> management. I'm not sure what utility it has at all, frankly. If anything, you're wasting time checking it. That's right. We live in we live in such a bizarre age where we have all these tools at our disposal, and yet everyone is strung out and stressed out, right? Everything is designed to make your life easier, but it all ends up making your life harder. Well, the thing is, all these things, the original idea of time-saving devices was that then man could pursue leisure, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is you have something that uh, that frees up more time, and so then we just fill it up with more work to do. <laughs> you know, like if you think of any job or any employee, uh, they don't come up with some automated thing and then now you're, you get to be George Jetson where all you do is sit in a chair and just push a button for that machine. It's like they come up with something that automated so then that now that frees you up to then do more work to feed the machine and uh, make more productivity. <laughs> well, the case in point is our medical office. Like we went from a paper office to an electronic office yeah. and the staff, all their duties changed overnight. Like they used to be managing these manila folders yeah. and having to sort them. And a huge part of their day was like taking the individual patient chart and alphabetizing it and putting it back in the right spot. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to pull it out again next time we needed it. The moment we switched to like trying that whole chore of their life ended. Yeah. Right. You'd think that they'd have copious amounts of free time as a result. But no, they're they're even busier now. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly in the emergency department where I work. No matter what we do to find ways to see patients faster, uh, more patients just show up. <laughs> you know, word spreads. Oh, you know where a fast place to get seen is the emergency department. So then more people come and then the volume I, goes up. Think, the wait time stays the same. I think that actually speaks to like the closing point of this episode is that while we do talk about some practical advice and technological gadgets and apps to help you save time, yeah. at the end of the day, the thing that you really need to do in terms of time management is to aggressively sit down and make that time yourself. You know, yeah. you really need to go back to the planning stage and say, you know, I'm very tired or my family's getting tired. What can we do to alleviate it? And it won't be fixed because of an app, right. right? It won't be fixed because of, you know, some little thing that you're doing. It'll be fixed because you start dropping things that you don't need. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's dropping Netflix a couple of times a week, or maybe it's dropping the curling club, right? right? Or the kids' lessons or some of the kids' lessons. Maybe it's just right? flat out quitting your job. <laughs> well, the job is, a, is like, that would be an episode onto it in of itself, yeah. right? Work can become an all-encompassing thing for people, yeah. right? So how do you manage, you know, your work hours and keep your work hours from spilling into you know, parenting life and affecting your family in a negative way. Like people with busy jobs can attest to this, yeah. right? In various ways. Like some people are never home. Some people are traveling all the time, yeah. right? So sometimes that is a thing that needs to be addressed. At the end of the day, the question you're asking yourself is, what do I need to cut, move, or remove to make sure I can keep doing my podcast? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And the first thing is make sure your kids get used to sleeping in their own room because <laughs> that time after they go to bed is the time that you can do all these things. <laughs> That's right, exactly. 10.30 on a Tuesday night. Absolutely. Well, on that note, I hope that people learned something about time management from this episode. And if you did, perhaps you can write in and tell us <laughs> and maybe we'd be able to use those tips. <laughs> I think that made sense, but it's 1030. I'm not really sure anymore. All right. Well, see you folks in a week for another podcast. Guaranteed to maybe not waste your time. (laughs) Good night, everyone.